It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. All right, let's talk about some of the challenges when it comes to parenting and the whole issue of expectations. I think as parents, we all bring children into this world with a heartbeat, with a desire to want to see our kids successful. You know, we want the kid that will grow up to be uh, the doctor or the lawyer, and yet sometimes they grow up to be the artist. And in that comes a sense of disappointment we have as parents. Then, too, beyond the notion of our ideals for our children not necessarily matching their ideas or their goals. And there's the sense oftentimes you hear of parents who try to live vicariously through their children. Yes, we want better life for our kids. Sometimes we want our life or the life that we thought we should have had growing up ourselves for our kids. And then the frustrating level comes in when, as parents, we try to raise perfect little children, and yet they turn out to be less than perfect. Is that a fault of less than perfect parenting? Let's find out as we are encouraged to, quite frankly, kind of uh, rethink our thinking and um, realize that we need to love our kids for who they are. We no more need to worry about perfect kids. Jill Savage is the co-author of this new book. And, Jill, great to have you on the program. Thanks. It's great to be with you. Jarell, can't... Ah, there we are. Sorry about that. My headphone, for some reason, suddenly failed on me. (laughs) Jill, let's talk a little bit about, first, some of the ideals that parents bring into this job as parenting. You know, I I think the the notion that we want a better life for our kids, I mean, that that stands to reason. Um, Oftentimes, we want to see our kids grow up to uh, to have better opportunities or be more successful, either economically or or socioeconomically, than, than we were coming up as our kids. And yet, suddenly this goal toward creating these perfect little people can become very frustrating, not just for ourselves, but also for our kids. It really can. And you know what happens as parents is, um, you know, particularly with that first child, uh, that child is, you know, either you're spending nine months uh, preparing for them, you know, as, as they're uh, growing in your, your belly or you're preparing nine months, 12 months if you're adopting. And you are imagining what life is going to be like with them. You're imagining what they're going to be like. You're imagining what they're going to like and the things that you're going to do together. And that's all great. I mean, that's normal for parents to dream. But then we meet our real child. And all of a sudden, over time, as we get to know that child, often the imagined child doesn't match the real child. And so at some point, we really have to separate those out, and we have to embrace the real child that's in front of us who may not look anything like the imagined child. Uh, their, their likes, their dislikes, their abilities may not be anything <clears throat> like the imagined child. And so we have to be willing to embrace the real child standing in front of us recognize they're going to be different than us, they're going to have different goals and different dreams and different talents, and uh, be able to lay that imagined child uh, to rest 
and really embrace your real child that's standing in front of you. And and that's uh, one piece of No More Perfect Kids that we look at is uh, really coming to grips and loving our real child. Is this an issue that a lot of parents struggle with, a sense of failure perhaps, because as as the child reaches a certain age, they, they, they compare the the imagined child with the reality of what is standing before them. And when one image doesn't match reality, do they get oftentimes get very depressed at the sense that I've somehow as a parent failed my child? I think some of us uh, look at it through the lens of failure. I think uh, others of us look at, at it through the lens of disappointment. Uh, I think some of us look at it through the lens of uh, still trying to make the child into something that they're not really designed to be. And so we become more controlling and uh, demanding the, of, of the child. So I think there's a lot of different ways that uh, as parents we can respond to this. But the most important thing for us to do is to really study our child, get excited about the way that God has created them uniquely, it may be very different than the way he's created us. It might be somewhat different than the way that he's created us. It might even be somewhat similar. Who knows? Uh, one example, I have five children, and uh, four of my five children are musical, and so am I. So I was actually have a degree in music education, and, and so I, I loved that for my kids. I wanted that for them. Um, I was trained to, to play the piano classically. I can, you put a piece of music in front of me, I can play it. Uh, most of my kids play by ear. They don't want to mess with the music. They want to hear the music, and then they want to be able to sit down at the piano and do it themselves. I can't do that. My ear is not trained. I don't have that inclination, but they do. Now, it used to frustrate me because, honestly, they really struggled with lessons and learning the classical side of things because they wanted the freedom to be artists. And I was really frustrated with that until I realized that I was trying to put a square peg in a round hole. And I needed to let them be the musicians that they were, which is very different than the way I'm a musician. And you mentioned um, that this it, this follows four of the five children. Now, what about the fifth child? <laughs> Well, the fifth child has absolutely no inclination towards music at all. <laughs> Nothing. Uh, and he had no, he took piano lessons for a couple of years. Uh, but, you know, it became very evident that it just wasn't his thing. Uh, he loves to work with his hands. He loves to build things. He loves to uh, run. And so those were, uh, you know, those were skills, talents that uh, I didn't share, but I had to embrace in him. And so, you know, after he did an obligatory year or two of piano, and we, we really studied him and said, you know what, this just isn't a good fit, then we had to let that go. There has and to be some sense of surrendering here, too, then, doesn't there? I mean, in, there in, in the sense that at the end of the day, what we want for them and what they want for themselves or the talent, skills, and abilities that God has, has entrusted to them may not be necessarily the ones on your list. You're right. So surrender is a piece of it. And the other thing that I think is important is sometimes we do have to grieve. Sometimes we actually have to grieve the imagined child or the imagined activities or the imagined way that we were going to interact with our children, we have to grieve that. 
Um, maybe, you know, maybe your child doesn't share any of the same type of hobbies or interests that you have. And you always pictured that you would be able to do X together. And, and they don't even have any desire to do X. Uh, maybe you're dealing with a special needs child. Special needs parents really have to come to grips with this because that, you know, none of us imagine ourselves having a special needs child, a child that's handicapped in some way, uh, that has some physical or emotional or mental challenges. And so uh, as parents, it could be as simple as our children just have different skills, gifts, talents, wiring, temperaments, personalities than us. And it could be something all the way on the other side of the spectrum uh, where, you know, a parent is dealing with a special needs child and their life doesn't look anything like what they thought it would. I would suspect there's a big point of perspective here that parents need to be reminded of. I mean, this notion that when kids grow up to be an artist, when what you really wanted was, you know, a doctor or a lawyer in the family, uh, dealing with that disappointment and gaining some perspective on, on really kind of the priorities here. We'll talk about that when we continue our conversation after a brief time out. Jill Savage is with us, co-author of No More Perfect Kids. Love your kids for who they are. We'll take a brief time out. Come back as we answer the question, okay, so when your little artist fails to be the doctor or lawyer that you wanted, what's God telling you on all this? That is this edition of Lifeline with Jill Savage continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. No more perfect kids. I mean, let's just be done with it, shall we? In fact, maybe as parents we need to admit that um, our expectations don't always line up with reality. And and the other issue here, too, as we were discussing with uh, author Jill Savage, who's co-authored the book with Kathy Cox, um, called No More Perfect Kids, perhaps, too, it's a matter of uh, prioritizing. And by that, I mean, uh, Jill, perhaps the frustration here is we look at them as our kids. You know, we, we raised them, we fed them, we clothed them, we pay for them, um, we nursed them when they were sick the whole nine yards, uh, or the whole nine months in the case of mom. <laughs> And at the end of the day, we kind of treat them as if they are our own, when in reality, they were God's children first. Is that part of the issue here that we're maybe failing to recognize that God has endowed them with talents and skills and abilities, and he has a plan for their life and a calling on their life that perhaps doesn't match the one that we've come up with or conjured up in our own minds? Yes, absolutely. You know, Psalms tells us that uh, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And as parents, our job is to discover how our children are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's really the journey that we need to be on. And uh, one of the things that that we talk about in the book is we talk about the concept of um, that culturally, we believe that there is something called, that we've dubbed, the perfection infection. And the perfection infection surrounds us all the time. Uh, We are... Uh, you know, we, we go through the checkout line at the grocery store and we see the front of magazines that talk about perfect bodies, perfect families. Um, you know, they, they give the, the, um, the perception that perfection is attainable. Uh, we watch a television show. We watch a sitcom and a difficult issue is solved in 30 minutes. We watch a movie and a difficult issue is solved in two hours. And that's not the way our real life is. And so without realizing it, we often put some pretty unrealistic expectations on ourselves as well as our kids. 
And then we leave God out of that picture Mm. because we begin to make an idol out of pursuing perfection or in some way presenting perfection to the rest of the world. And I think social media adds to it as well. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's very common to see on Facebook, hey, I'm so proud of my son. He made the honor roll. You don't very often see on Facebook, well, today was such an enjoyable day. We got a phone call from the principal because of uh, something that our child did at school. You don't see that very often. So we are constantly um, comparing our insides to other people's outsides. Our, our, we're comparing our children's behind-the-scenes behavior to other people's, um, you know, I would call uh, highlight reel behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, their, their kids seem to behave well when they're in public, and we know what ours do behind doors as well as in public at times. So without realizing it, we often put some uh, really unrealistic expectations of ourselves and others because of the perfection infection, and then we leave God out of the picture. Well, and then there, that leads to a point that you discuss in the book, and I have to tell you something, uh, Jill. My hand's off to you and your co-author, um, and you imagine down through the years I have interviewed thousands of uh, parenting experts, uh, you know, many that the listeners are very well familiar with, you know, up to including the, you know, the Jim, the uh, uh, Jim Dobsons of the world and so on and so forth. But you bring up something in the book that I've never seen articulated in a certain fashion before that ought to set every parent back on their heels. And that is this. Um, we do a lot in terms, as you suggest, of wanting to uh, see our kids uh, be more successful at life than we were. We want them to have advantages that we did not have. Uh, we try to pass on this sense of uh, of perfection, as you suggest, that oftentimes can be very frustrating to a child when they don't have the capacity to be able to to match us in that level of perfection. We're trying to create kind of a, you know, Martha Stewart kids, I'll call them, you know? Right. They're capable of doing everything, and they do it perfectly. That's what we want, but of course, we also understand that that's not reality. But meanwhile, Meanwhile, as we're trying to kind of force this false dichotomy, this false um, paradigm on our children, it can be very, very frustrating for them. And you ask a question inside the book that I think every parent ought to really ponder, and that is simply this. Of course, we want to say that we love our kids. And most kids, I think, if they stop and pause, uh, will say, yeah, I know I know, I understand in my heart of hearts that mom and dad love me. That's not up for debate. Here's what's up for debate. The big question that I have that's unanswered, and that is, do mom and dad like me? <laughs> yeah. Wow. And, and the answer to that question and how our children would respond to that says so much about our parenting skills, doesn't it? It really does. And it, it, it really does. And, and it doesn't matter what we... Um, what we say, like, you know, it, yes, of course my children know that I like them. The bigger question is, would your child really be able to say that? Uh, the, the bigger question is, how do I make my child feel? That really says a lot about our parenting. And that's why uh, in No More Perfect Kids, we also give parents the antidotes to the perfection infection. And those antidotes, uh, spell out the acronym C-L-A-P. 
so that we can celebrate our kids, we can clap for our kids and see his compassion, to see the world through their eyes, to build a bridge into their reality, to have a sense of compassion and empathy for them. And this isn't um, about a popularity contest. I mean, some parents would say, now, wait a minute, Craig, how dare you suggest, you know, my job is not to be a friend to my child. I am there to be their parent. I have to be able to be the one that will give them guidance and correction, draw the line in the sand when need be, provide discipline when necessary. I am not so concerned about whether or not my kids like me or I like my kids. It's important that they know I love them, but I, at the end of the day, have to be the parent. And while all that is well good and very accurate, there is this little subtle thing going on where the child can walk away as you're, as you're pushing this sense of, of your perfection on them and trying to create a child that lives up perfectly to your standards, that a child can walk away readily and really, really have a big challenge here emotionally thinking, I know mom and dad love me, but, you know, I I didn't turn out to be the lawyer that they wanted to be, but I'm a really good artist, so I guess maybe they love me, they just don't like me. Wow, what a, what a burden that is to carry as a child. It really is. It really is. And, you know, I, I mean, I am a firm believer. Parents are not designed to be their children's friends. I mean, all the things that you just said, I would absolutely agree with. Uh, before I got serious about ridding myself of perfection infection parenting, I was a buck up mom. Buck up. Move on. Life, sometimes life's hard. I was just a buck up mom. I didn't have a lot of compassion. I didn't have, now I, I gave my kids direction. I gave them uh, certainly a structure in their lives, but I didn't really know them. And that's where, that's what we're talking about in No More Perfect Kids is a balance between that. Uh, certainly being the disciplinarian, being the leader of our children, but balancing that out with truly knowing our children. Well, and you know, that leads also to an important question that we can uh, elaborate upon when we come back after a brief time out, and that is, parent, ask yourself this question. Is the, the time in your relationship with your child when you give them the most attention just the times when they're in trouble? Ponder that as we'll take a time out and come back to more of our conversation. Jill Savage, the co-author of No More Perfect Kids. Love your kids for who they are. We'll take a brief time out, then back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation. Okay, here's the big question for you, parents, and that is simply this. Do your kids tend to get the most attention when they're in trouble? And what are you doing the rest of the time? Addressing that question, the book, No More Perfect Kids, Love Your Kids for Who They Are. Co-author Jill Savage is with us. And, and Jill, what about that? I mean, I know that we live very busy lifestyles, and oftentimes both parents are working and we're running to and fro. We've got jobs to maintain. We have houses to, to take care of, grocery shopping to do. Got to get the kids to uh, everything from band practice to soccer practice and everything in between. And then we, we think we're giving our kids a lot of attention, but then the, the real one-on-one -on -one attention seems in some cases to only really excel when they're in trouble. Uh, it's true, and I think it's an easy way, an easy place for us as parents to, to fall into. Uh, you know, the book is built around questions that each of our kids are asking deep inside their hearts. They're questions that we asked when we were kids. Uh, those questions are uh, simple questions like, um, 
do you like me? You know, that was one that, that you mentioned a little bit earlier. But another question is, am I important to you? And uh, in today's uh, fast-paced life, oftentimes our kids are only getting our attention when they do something negative, when we're correcting them, and that doesn't tell them that they're important. And so I think we really have to, um, we have to, and, and also if our goal is to get to know our child, to study our child, uh, only, you know, interacting and knowing them when, when their behavior is negative is not going to help us explore. Uh, so we really need to spend time with our kids. We need to, to dig into to life with them. And, um, you know, we have a, a son that, are, the one that wasn't musical that I uh, was sharing earlier, he loves to run. And when he was in junior high, uh, we encouraged him to do cross country. And he actually, when he was in seventh grade, he won the, the state cross country meet. And so here he was, seventh grade, he was winning state. And in our minds, we're thinking, by the time he gets to high school, he is going to be one of the top runners and possibly have scholarship opportunities. So, of course, we encouraged him to keep going and keep going and keep running. And he hated it. He hated cross country. And we thought, why? Why? He loved to run, but why? Well, we spent some time digging into that. And, and instead of just correcting him and pushing him, uh, we, you know, just tried to have some very intentional conversations and really come to understand him. And it took us a while to dig it out of him and figure out what was at the heart of it. But here's the deal. He loved to run. He hated competition. Mm. This is where knowing our child and knowing their heart and, and having compassion and love and acceptance and perception, those are the uh, four antidotes to the perfection infection. So perception is that we're really perceiving or trying to perceive or paying attention to what's going on on the inside of our child's heart. How do we know, though, when to push and when not to push? Because there's another example out of the book that you share with uh, one of the four musical children whom you encouraged to take a semester of choir, and I understand that he went into that thing kicking and screaming all the way, and uh, a couple of days into it said, forget about it, I'm not going to do it, and all these fights, and you insisted he had to complete at least one semester, and slowly all of a sudden he's coming home and talking about new friends that he met in choir practice, and they're going to be traveling here to do this, and before you know it, uh, this became, as you suggested inside the book, one of the highlights of his scholastic career. So how do you know that delicate balance of, of when to push and when not to push? That is a great question, and it comes down to knowing your child. You, it comes down to paying attention to the little things. That same child, I also share a story in the book, that that same child wanted to play football when he was in sixth grade. And the only place you could do that was on a community team, and so we made arrangements for him. to. And we couldn't imagine. He didn't seem like the football type, but he wanted to play football. And so we uh, allowed him to do that, and he came home the first day uh, from practice, hated it. Uh, in tears, I don't want to go back. And we said, oh, my gosh, of course you're going back. You've wanted this, you know, for years, and uh, you're not, we're not raising a quitter. And so we sent him back the second time. He came back again in tears. I hate it. I don't want to do this anymore. Third day, same thing. By the fourth day, 
I noticed that he had actually bit his nails down to the quick. He, his nails were bleeding. This child was so emotionally uh, overwhelmed and distraught with the possibility of going to that football practice that I remember the day that my husband and I said, oh, my gosh, this is not worth it. This is not worth it. It's, it is stressing him out in a way that is unhealthy. And we actually allowed him to quit. So then several years later, of course, when we required him to take the music class that he didn't want to take, uh, we didn't see that same kind of stress. We saw his will, and he was not happy that we were requiring him to take choir. Um, but you know what? He eventually... Uh, grew to love it, and we thought that that would be the situation. So I think it comes down to paying attention to your child, really knowing them, and we could have just kept pushing him to do that football, and who knows where we would have been with him emotionally uh, because it was obviously stressing him out to to a place that was actually unhealthy. So I think it comes down to really paying attention to the little things, to what's going on on the inside, uh, to having those conversations. You know, our kids tend to like to talk at bedtime. And for parents, most of us are like, I want to just tell you good night, kiss you good night, and go to bed because I'm done. You know? Yeah. <laughs> We're just done you. at that moment in time. And that's a lot of times when we get to hear our kids' heart or they'll share something. And so we have to, we have to make ourselves available for those conversations and know our child and pay attention to those little things that often give us a clue to what's going on with them. And it comes back to such an important point of balance, as we've discussed, I think, throughout our visit today. And you mentioned this in the book. Parents, we have to be mindful that our kids are created first and foremost. They may may look like us in the mirror, but at the end of the day, they're created in God's image, not our own. And we know that God has no stepchildren and that he has a unique individual plan and calling on each and every one of our lives. And what you want for your child, as wonderful and altruistic as it may be, may not necessarily be what God wants for your child. And so um, learning to know what the purpose and calling us of their, is on their life, allowing them to experience failure, correcting them without criticizing them, getting to know your kids, uh, particularly as, as you point out, Jill, the difference that it makes when we know as a parent when we should push and when not to push can make all the difference between um, not creating maybe or raising perfect kids, but certainly happy and successful children. And that, I think, yes. at the end of the day, is the most important thing. It is. It really is. And I think the more uh, we get to know our children and then as they get older, it's also important for them to get to know us and uh, for them to know that our failures, our struggles, and because at, a, at some point they need to know we're not perfect either, Life is hard. We all have struggles. We all have things that we have to work through. Uh, failure is a normal part of this living experience. And so the more we help our kids know that those are normal things in their life because they're normal things in our life, that also gives them permission to not try to be perfect, but to embrace the what I call the perfecting process that God has all of us in. Because we mature best through our failures, through our struggles, 
through coming to know ourselves. Yeah, and, and that, that's the perfecting process. Indeed so. And, and of course, that perfecting process is one that God largely works out. And so at the end of the day, parents, you can have a deep sigh of relief here. No more perfect kids. Just loving our kids for who they are. The new book, by the way, you'll find it at uh, bookstores throughout the Bay Area. Amazon.com has it as well. It's published by Moody and uh, our guest today, the co-author, Jill Savage. Information, too, on Jill's website at jillsavage.org. That's Jill, J-I-L-L, Jill Savage. .org. And our thanks to Arthur and Jill Savage for being with us tonight on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome to a special series on health, a look at healing from within with Dr. John Duong. Dr. Duong, welcome. Good to have you on the program. Thank you. Let's start first as sort of the groundwork for our conversation today and this series uh, to better allow listeners to get to know you and most importantly, your philosophy when it comes to health care. Uh, yes. My philosophy is that, like, just imagine if you have a full cup of water how can you get more water to this cup without spilling? So I understand this philosophy when I was in, in my 20s. It's all about love. It's all about sharing. So what I do is that when my cup is full, what do I do? I share with other people. I empty my cup so my constant flow of water will go through my cups. That's how I gain knowledge is by sharing my knowledge to other people so I would make other people better with me. So I just love that philosophy, and I keep practicing that once I learned it. And for me, I learned about health. I see how powerful the healing from within is. So I would like to share this information, this share, this knowledge that I gain to the audience that I will be in contact with. One of my goals for this year is to go around churches and sharing how does the body heal from within? So one of the churches I went uh, last month, which is October, is Wells Community Church. And I, I did have a great time sharing the information there. And I want to continue to share this to the world now. Healing from within. Where is the sources of healing? Is the creator. God's give us the permission to heal. The healing is inside us. We have to permit the body to heal from within. That, of course, leads us to today's topic, and that is the issue of chronic pain. And there are millions of Americans, yes. as you know, who suffer with chronic neck pain, chronic lower back pain. And I think a lot of people, particularly by the time they reach their mid-50s and 60s, sort of shrug it off. They accept it as a natural part of growing older. They accept prescription drugs in order to anesthetize or numb the pain, never thinking that there would ever be a possibility to be free from the pain in a natural approach. Talk to us about how is that whole idea of accepting pain is just a part of growing older wrong? That is not right because pain, we can fix it. I learned this from Earl Nightingale. He said 95% of people will fail and only 5% succeed. What's the difference? Why is that numbers? He said that because people simply don't think and they do not have a plan. They don't have a goal. So what do we have to do? For me, I'm just talking by myself. The first thing I pray is the wisdom. I need to pray for wisdom so I can determine what is right. So by asking questions. So if you have pain, in particular in the neck pain or back pain, the first question is that why do I have neck pain in that area? So for my patient, the first question I ask is that if you were to have a neck injury or back injury and you take an MRI or 
in x-ray why is most of the injury so that's why we think now we have to think we have to process why is the most injury is the c4 c5 which c stands for cervical in their c4 c5 and c6 it has the most degenerative most arthritis most herniated disc at that level on the neck how about if we in the process of thinking on the l lumbar has the most injury is the l4 l5 l5 s1 has the most degenerative press on the nerve so it go it travel down to the leg a sciatic nerve so why are those the most common area so we need to ask questions and then how can we fix it and how can we prevent this from further damaging it how can we prevent it from co- even coming back after we fix it now the predominant approach by traditional medicine of course has been to provide drugs that numb the pain, but never really address that underlying question as to what is causing this degenerative case in those areas yes. that you mentioned specifically in the neck and lower back, and most importantly, to use the body's natural ability to heal from within to begin addressing that. So instead of relying on outside painkillers, we're instead harnessing the power of the body to heal from within. How do we go about doing that? The first thing is that we need to know why is that the most degenerative on that area, that like C4, C5, C5, C6, L4, L5, L5S1, is because us, like for example, when we sit, what do we do? We slouch. When we slouch, what does it do? It compresses the disc more. It put more pressure. As a result, the disc will degenerate faster. There's arthritis is building up. So the loading would be there. The hernia the disc would press on the nerve. So what do we have to do is that we have to solve that problem by sitting it up correctly. So my mother said, sit up straight in your chair. That was actually good advice. That, definitely. But when we have the problem, like some people are experiencing like excruciating pain, that like if they have a neck problem going down their arms, or if it's back pain going down their leg, excruciating pain, what do we have to do? We have to solve the problem. There's uh, multiple causes for one discomfort, one pain that you have. So we have to solve Usually is the disc. We have to fix the disc. And there's technologies that's available, the latest technology, to help the body to fix the disc. So at the end of the day then, a lot of these causes, as you're suggesting, with chronic neck and back pain, come from bad habits. Bad habits um, is accumulations. A lot of it is accumulation. We bend incorrectly, sitting incorrectly, or we have a trauma that we never take care of it. Oh, when you are young, you're invincible, right? So it just build up, and then also there's like, or it can be a trauma. So the high school football injury thirty years ago now suddenly comes back to uh, to haunt you. Exactly. So at the end of the day, then teaching people how to use the power of information to correct behaviors, harness some of the technology, and ultimately ab- allow the body to do what it does best, and that is to regenerate itself. We know that our cells are changing over thousands of times every second and regenerating, exactly. but oftentimes we don't really know how to properly put that power to our good use. God had a bigger plan, and unfortunately, oftentimes, we ignore that plan, don't we? Yes, so we need to go back to natural. First, if you do have an issue, why does it cause and change the bad habits? And if it were pressing on the nerve, you have a herniated disc or stenosis that's causing it. We have technologies to fix the problem. 
Let me mention for listeners, if you'd like to get more information, there's going to be an ongoing series available at Dr. Duong's YouTube channel. That's simply Dr. Duong Live on YouTube, Dr. Duong Live at YouTube, also at his Facebook page. And over the coming months, you'll be able to continue to watch this series Allow your knowledge to grow, as Dr. Duong suggests, as he is pouring out his cup of knowledge and providing that information to us. He, in turn, will gain more information and pass that additional knowledge on to you. If you'd like to get more information, let me encourage you also to go to Dr. Duong's website. That's drduonglive.com, drduonglive.com. As we say, you can also follow him at YouTube and on Facebook. And also for listeners, there is, for a limited time, a special offer where you can receive a free in-office consultation Good through December the 20th, but you need to act now by calling toll-free 800-470-0828. That's 800-470-0828. And Dr. Long, tell us a bit about what happens in that consultation. Consultation. The first thing is that if you do have uh, pain, if you do have chronic pain, we want to find out where the cause of the problem. And can we use the four-point therapy that we have to help the body to fix itself, fixing the body from within so we do have technology to fix it for you? If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired or maybe concerned that you've been taking all of these medications to kill the pain because, I don't know, you've got an aspirin deficiency, well, we know that isn't the case. We know that where the deficiency is is the lack of knowledge and understanding to both the underlying cause of the symptoms and then most importantly, a lack of knowledge when it comes to harnessing the body's own natural ability to heal itself from within. Want to learn more? Again, that special offer of an in-office consultation, absolutely free. This offer is only good until the 20th of December when you call toll-free 800-470-0828. That's 800 800- Four seven zero zero eight two eight, and as always, more information available too on the web at drduonglive.com. That's drduonglive.com. Doctor, thanks so much for the time today, and we look forward to the next installment in this series. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for the audience. And again, more details on the web, drduonglive.com.